Today in our gospel reading, we hear about the woman caught in adultery. But when we look at it in a bigger context, even in the gospel of John, it seems very out of place because it's sitting in the first half of the book of John, which is known as the book of signs. And in the book of signs, it's pointing to something and somewhere and trying to help us understand the true nature and meaning of God. And so we read through the woman caught in adultery and it's hard to really find why it sits where it sits and even in our lectionary, why it's read in its context. But I think if we forget the first reading today, we really can lose sight of the true meaning and especially informs us why John writes this in his first half of the book, pointing to Jesus in a very particular way. In our first reading today, we hear from the prophet Isaiah. To really understand where we're coming from, we have to scoot back and look at the situation and context of Isaiah's writings. He's writing in a time where they're in the Babylonian exile, where the Israelite people has just lost their home, lost their land, lost freedom. They've lost everything, but most importantly, they've lost hope. And everything that they're going through, they don't know where to go, what to look for. And so they're living in the sense of despair and emptiness. A prophet through God has said, yes, I will give you this promised land. But every step of the way, they've met with adversity. They've met with challenges. They're met with difficulty. And so there is a reason for their despair. There is a reason for their hopelessness. And they're trying to make sense of all of it. Because God's telling them, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you my chosen people. They've given this promise, but everything they see in front of them is despair and hopelessness. But it draws back to them that journey, that exodus journey that they're facing. And so with that understanding in mind, what are the people, when the prophet Isaiah is writing, what are they, do what are they doing? What they're doing is stuck in a mindset. They're stuck in a point of time. As they're being recalled and reminded of these challenges and difficulties, all they can see in their midst is suffering. They're stuck in the past. All they can think about is the promise, but not where they're going. They're stuck with what it was supposed to be, but not what they're going to inherit and gain. And the reason why I bring this up, because it helps us really understand our gospel reading. Because the challenge and struggle of us today is we get stuck in sin. We get stuck in sin because of ourselves, and we get stuck in sin by others. So when we read through our gospel reading today, we see how we can be stuck in sin. We see from the very moment in which God, Jesus encounters the woman called in adultery. 
To be accused of adultery, both parties have to be brought out to justice. But instead, the woman is the only one brought out to justice. And in that situation, all eyes are on her, but not her as a human being, but just her and her sins. No one's allowing her to go past her sins. But we see in Jesus' action today, he doesn't focus on the sin. He focuses on the act of repentance and giving the woman new life. He draws the attention from the Pharisees and Sadducees towards the sand. As he's writing in the sand, the attention focuses not on her anymore, but on him. He turns them away from her sins and begins to call them into retrospect to look at their own condition, their own weakness, their own frailty. And in doing so, he tells, the, he tells them, if you who have no sin cast the first stone, the oldest in the crowd begins to leave, the oldest to the youngest. Because they themselves come to the realization and understanding that they themselves are sinful. But what that illustrates also for us is they're stuck in their own mentality of sin. They can't overcome and begin to embrace the new life that God is about to give them. They want to stay in the past, the past of darkness. But what does Jesus then do? He looks at the woman and says, Oh, did no one cast any stone? Is anyone casting judgment on you? Because I don't. He says, go and sin no more. In which he just gives the woman a newness of life in which she's not defined by her sins. She's not chained by her sin. But what makes her new is the fact that she repented. She has changed and has converted her life and embraced the life that God has just given her. The forgiveness of sin, an opportunity to be hopeful, to rejoice, an opportunity to lay down all our burdens, to give that to Christ and focus on the future. When you and I commit sin, we stay in the past. We stay in our brokenness and our weakness and that's all we can focus on. When we go to confession, we begin to be scrupulous of what we do because we are afraid that God cannot forgive us what we have done. Sometimes as we come to the sacrament of confession, we bring the same sins over and over and over because we're afraid that if we don't confess it, if we don't do our due diligence, God will not forgive us. But is it the case that God is not forgiving us or are we not forgiving of ourselves in our shortcomings, in our frailty, in our weakness? Because if you listen very carefully to the prayers of absolution, I absolve you of all your sins. Not just the sins that you think are there. All your sins. But 
as God absolves you of all your sins, do you give yourself the permission to begin a newness of life? To now lay the burdens down and look forward into a new life, a new life devoid of sin, a life where I'm avoiding the near occasions of sin and temptation, a newness of life that brings hope and joy from God and from God himself. But every time we go to confession, every time we commit sin, it's very easy for us to then just turn back on ourselves and be stuck there. And as we are stuck there, we can never look at the future, the newness of life that God has given us, a way in which we can be reborn again, made new again, to do better next time, to become better. But yet when we're stuck in sin, that's all we can see is our weakness, our frailty, how you and I are unlovable in God's eyes, how you and I are imperfect and we can't avoid our sins, we keep falling in the same sins, and how can God love that kind of human being? I try my best every week to avoid those sins, but yet I come to confession with the same sins over and over and over. God has forgiven us of our sins, but do we forgive ourselves? And finally, the last aspect, we hold each other to sin. We hold sin over each other's heads as tit for tat. Think of it in your relationship as husband and wife. When you've sinned against each other, I'm holding this back in my relationship so that I can use it to exploit you, use it at my own convenience to hang it over your head. Is that the freedom in which God is giving the woman committed in adultery? Is that the freedom in which we're called to share on behalf of God to those around us? Because it's easy to say, I did this for you last week, why aren't you doing this now? Or I've done these things for you in the past, why can't you pick up some of the work? I'm at home doing all these things, X, Y, and Z, laundry, cooking, cleaning, but why can't you just do this? How is that freedom, peace, and joy? How is that giving our spouses new life? How is that showing what God has given us through the sacrament of confession? Sin still holds you and I in the past, and that's all we can focus on. Today, in our first reading and our gospel reading, we're shown that Jesus gives us new life. That newness of life brings us new hope, joy, happiness. We experience that as we come to confession, to lay down our sins, our burdens to Him. And we're called to do the same with our partner, with our family, our friends, with our husband, with our wife. But are we doing that? Or are we no different than the Pharisees and Sadducees today in our gospel reading? 
picking sin and holding it over each other's heads so that we can use it against them when it's convenient in our ploy, in our mass scheme to use it against each other to gain benefit. Because that's not the way in which God is asking us today. That's not what Jesus is showing us in, the, in our gospel reading today. We've been given new life every time we've come to sin. We've been given new life to focus on our future to become better so that we can bring that hope, that joy, that love that he has to this world. But he calls us to share that with our brothers and sisters. So as we fi finish our final weeks of Lent, preparing for our Holy Week, let us recall to mind our own weaknesses, our own frailty, and ask God to help us focus on the future. Not that we're broken and sinful, but that through God's grace, God's help, we're going to gain peace, joy, and happiness. But we're also called to then share that with others so that when we get to Good Friday, we can die with Christ and then on Easter Vigil be reborn again in newness of life, freed from sin, freed from death, so that we can gain eternal life a life towards the future, a life that's entailed of happiness, joy, and peace. Amen.